So we've been looking at the, let me get back into the context a little bit with us here, but with the Corinthian church. Is the Corinthian church, remember Corinth was this very prosperous city. It was located in the trade center of the, of the then known world. And within this trade center, they had people from all different nations and backgrounds. They had rich and poor and educated and uneducated. They had all the nationalities. Everybody was coming here because this is where the jobs were. So this is what makes up this Corinthian church, is these people with all these different backgrounds. But as we see, as Pastor Tyler shared with us last week, there were some problems, weren't there, in the church? I mean, what was amazing is what we saw is that they had this supernatural gifting from God. They had all these different supernatural gifts that had put upon these believers. Some had supernatural knowledge and faith. Some had supernatural generosity and sacrifice. (coughs) But what did we see is that they were living, and we'll go through this list today, but they were living as though the world, they were taking these gifts upon themselves from God, and what was it creating in them? Pride. Thank you. Pride. Their flesh, unredeemed nature was taking over, and they were taking all these gifts that were given to the church, and they were filled with pride, thinking that they were better than one another. And what we saw last week is he said, if you have these supernatural gifts from God, and you don't have love, it means nothing. All the things you're doing, all the people you're healing, All the things that are going on within your ministry are meaningless apart from love. And then he said, you have supernatural knowledge and faith, and you're preaching and evangelizing, and without love, it means nothing. And he even went to the extreme, he said, you might have supernatural generosity, even to the point you're martyred for your faith, but apart from love, it means nothing. And we know this is true from Matthew 7. You remember Matthew 7 when Jesus is talking about the day of judgment? And he said, many on that day will come to me and say, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty miracles in your name? And what does Jesus say? I do not know you. Yes, Ralph, depart from me for I do not know you. You see, I want you to hear this, brothers and sisters, is that God looks on the inside. Man looks on the outside. You may think someone are super spiritual and super godly, but God is looking in their heart, and what is the pure motivation for what they are doing? Is it truly out of the love of God and the love for their brothers and sisters, or is it about the appearance before the church? So that's what uh, Pastor Tyler talked about last week, and now we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this and learn some of the ways we can test ourselves to see where we're at in relation to love. Now, have you noticed as you've been reading your Bibles that love's kind of a big deal? <laughs> love is the word that appears most in the Bible. It, it, it is very, very significant. How about this? Is that for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. We all know John 3.16. It's the very love of God that led us to be saved. And when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul, and love your neighbors yourself. And he said, all the other laws will fall underneath that. 
In a marriage context, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love's a big deal. And now he's saying you could be living the super spiritual life and apart from love, it's meaningless before a holy and righteous God. So what I want you to hear this morning is that love is the foundation of the Christian life. It's the foundation of the life. It's what drives this this new creation life within all of us. And I would also say it is the greatest motivation that we should have to live a godly life. Amen? Amen? It's our love for God and love for one another should be the motivation to live this new life. So we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 7 today. And let me just share with you, it's, it's one of the most comprehensive descriptions of how we are called to live out this, this love of a Christian. One of the most comprehensive descriptions of it we'll find in all of Scripture. So we're going to look at these wonderful attributes of the supernatural love. We're going to look at, brothers and sisters, we're going to look at things to put on and things to take off to live out this call to love. And what I love about it is that this list is not a list of adjectives of what is love, but it's verbs, what does love do or do not do? You see this? It's, it's all application this morning. It's all application in how we live this life out. So you'll see that, I pray you'll see that really this call of love, this agape love is not passive but active. It's a choice we have to make. It's a choice we have to make every day, and I'm going to be getting in your kitchen about that a little bit today, but because I want you to really hear it and bring it in, because it's, it's a choice. We can choose to love. It's not a feeling. See, the, the world talks about love as a feeling. Aren't you glad that we're not called to live by feelings? I don't know about you. I don't always like, feel like getting up in the morning. And today was one of those mornings, by the way. It was one of those I was deep, oh man, just one more hour would be awesome, Lord. Can, you, can we have the clocks turned back or something this morning? But I don't always feel like getting up. You know what? I don't always feel like going to work. Do you? And the other part of it is we, <laughs> we, we don't always feel like loving one another either. That's what we're going to get into today. But the good news is, is it's not a feeling-based thing. Feelings, by the way, brothers and sisters, are a beautiful thing that God's given us, but it's the caboose. It's not the locomotive. We, 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 we have to go by our, our, our intellect, our, our doctrine, led by the truth of God, through our will, and, and in that we make our feelings submit to this God calling on our life. So we're, so we're called to this type of love. That's what we're going to be talking about. And what's great about this list, it is it's so simple and straightforward, even a child could understand it. So we're going to, here's what we're going to be doing. We got a long list, as you see in your bulletin. If you see, I've got them all listed there. So we got a lot to cover, so I'm going to go through them a little bit quickly, and I'm going to give you some ways of evaluating each one of them, and then I'm going to ask you this, is this attribute true for you? Is this true in your life? Yes or no? And if not, how are you going to put it on? And if yes, how are you going to deepen that love? Okay? So we're going to go kind of racy here as we go through this. With that, if you'd open your Bibles 
to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Our brother Charles will open it up for us today. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Charles. Appreciate that. As uh, Pastor Tyler said last week, when do we hear these verses most often? Weddings, Weddings, all the weddings, right? Which is great because really the first place of ministry is within the home, so a family should be definitely husband and wife and family should be living out this type of love, but it's really for the whole church. That's the context. So first we see love is patient. Love is patient. Love is long-suffering. You know, isn't it amazing that in a body of Christ, as we look around here in this room, we're all so different. We're all so different. We're all very unique. We come from different backgrounds, different families, different histories, different educations, different vocations. We're all very different. And we learned a few weeks ago that the call of the church is to be living interdependent. We're supposed to be living interdependent. We're supposed to learn how to live as one body with Christ as the head. That, that's the call of the church, this interdependent life. But because we're all so different, and by the way, we have different sin histories, different temptations, different personalities, different senses of humor, different enjoyments outside of church. We have all, in any way you can imagine, we have... We have a huge variety of, of, of ways we're different, but we're called to be interdependent. And one of the ways we can live inter- interdependent is we have to be patient. We have to be patient with one another. See, what tends to happen is, is because of our differences, we, we can even get into little cliques within the church of, hey, you know what, I, I want nothing to do with those people. Whenever I'm with them, they just, they just drive me nuts. And what he's saying is that, no, in the body of Christ, you have to bear with one another. You, you have to be engaging and loving with people that you don't necessarily see eye to eye on in all the things of life. So maybe right now you're thinking of some people that you really aren't fellowshipping with within this body because they rub you. We have to be patient. We have to be engaging within the body of Christ. That's a choice we make to be patient. We, we, we refuse to let our differences irritate us, anger us, frustrate us. We choose to meet people where they are and choose to love them. There's also people in the church, different spiritual maturities. 
And, and so we meet with them, and it can be a little frustrating sometime with a new believer with some of their thinking and some of their beliefs, and we, we meet them where they are and help them get to the next step in their faith. Amen? So this issue of patience, and you know, sometimes you might be talking to someone, and a lot of that conversation will probably be prayer in your head. Help me to persevere. Help me to engage with this brother or sister. Help me to love them as the way Christ loved the church. Help me to, in, to, to encourage them. To be patient with one another. I would also say we need to be patient because we are going to face things like criticism. We're on the other end of this now, right? Criticism, complaints, uh, prejudice, selfishness, jealousy, immaturity. It's going to come to us from this church. Are you with me? We're on the other end of this. We also have to be patient because what a lot of people do when they face that in the body of Christ is what do they do? <clears throat> they rat, they defend themselves, they get angry, or they'll leave the church. They don't love me. They don't care about me. You need to be patient within the body as we're patient with others. It won't, you won't always have a good day here in the body of Christ. Are you good with that? You're going to have some tough days. We all do. But like a marriage, we're determined to stay with it. We're staying to fight for this relationship, fight for this body of Christ. And that means we have to be patient. It takes a lot of prayer to be patient. I confess to you that it is one of my battles. I'm just not a very patient person. Carrie says amen. <laughs> You were nodding. That wasn't for me then. That was for you. Okay. Amen. Amen. Look at the next verse here. Here's another encouraging. Oops, I'm sorry. I missed that. Here we go. It says, Jesus, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You want to picture a perfect patience. That's Jesus on the cross after he had been betrayed by the religious leaders betrayed by the own people of Israel, and yet on the cross, he says, forgive them for they know what, what they do. Can you be that patient? These are his enemies. These are the ones that crucified him. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. One other encouraging thing about being patient, look at this next. To fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any of you should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Was God patient with you, leading you to salvation? How many times did people come up to you and share the gospel? How many times did you hear the gospel? How many times did people come up and try to to win you over to the body of Christ, and you refused them? And God just kept sending more messengers. He was patient. One other question. Is he patient with you now? In sanctification. I don't know about you, but I'm ashamed sometimes in my times of a confession that I'm going back and confessing the same sins I've committed over and over. True for you? But he's patient. So we too must put on this patience within the body of Christ. So how are you doing with that? 
you got a little sheet to fill out there. You can fill in your own little private notes under each one of these. Are you a patient person? Do you need to grow in patience? Or do you need to start being patient? Love is patient. Love is kind. This world we're in right now to be kind, isn't it? I don't think there's ever been a time in my life where there's been so much anger and hatred in this world. So much division. So much unkindness. People can't even communicate to each other about differences with any element of kindness. Just because I disagree with you doesn't mean that I need to to be mean, nasty, and even swearing in my communication. I can be kind as we talk about our differences. Amen? There's no kindness in this world right now. But as Christ followers, we need to be choosing to be kind to one another. Acts of kindness, sacrificial, gracious, generous, serving each other in kindness. Daily, we must look past ourselves, our needs, and look at ways we can practically demonstrate kindness to one another. Starts at the home, too. Husbands, be kind to your wives. Wives, be kind to your husbands. Parents, be kind to your children. Children, be kind to your parents. Brothers and sisters, be kind to one another. And as a great testimony to the lost world, brothers and sisters, be kind to the lost and dying world. Look at this, another perfect example comes from Jesus. Or do you presume on the riches of his riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? When the kindness and love appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. We are saved by the kindness of a holy and righteous God. Good grace alone and faith alone. How are you doing with kindness? Yes, no? Praise God. Love does not envy. Envy is jealousy is one of the greatest battles we face. Have you noticed that in your life? There's always someone better, richer, smarter, better looking, funnier, more athletic. Go on down the list. Whatever your strength is, I can guarantee you'll find someone that has that same strength, only better. And this, this issue of comparing yourself to someone else, even based on your greatest strength, can lead to jealousy and envy. This in, and that feeling is an intense feeling from the gut towards other people. And it can be exhibited two ways. One is we want what someone else has. Right? I deserve that job. I deserve that car. I deserve that pair of shoes. I deserve that intellect. I deserve that sense of humor. I deserve that relationship. The other type that comes, which is even a more evil way of exhibiting envy and jealousy, is I don't want them to have it. I'd rather see them lose it 
even though I can't have it, I don't want them to have it either. One of the great illustrations of that, you know the one with King Solomon and the, the two women with the babies? Do you remember that one? Yeah. I love that. So these, if you don't know it, it's these two women have babies, infants, they're friends, they're staying together, and the night one of the baby dies. And the woman that's baby died gets up at night and takes her dead baby, puts it in the crib of the other mother and takes the living baby back to her and says, this is her baby. And so when the woman wakes up that, and that her baby's still alive, notice that this baby's dead, she knew immediately it wasn't her baby that had died. This isn't my baby. You've exchanged these babies. You have my baby. So this battle goes and it ends up before King Solomon, the wisest man that's ever lived. Do you remember this? And what does he say to do? Yeah, he's listening to their arguments, and the wisest man in the world says, listen, what we'll do here to settle this problem, we'll just cut the baby in half. And the woman whose baby has died says, go ahead. Why would she say that? Because my baby died, you don't get to have a baby either. But of course, a living mother says, no, I'd rather her go live with her than for me to lose the baby. That's a beautiful picture of envy even to the point of wanting to kill someone else's baby so she can't have it, since I can't have it. It's powerful. It's powerful within the body of Christ. We see it throughout the Bible. Cain and Abel, the first murder, was out of jealousy. Joseph's brothers threw him in the well because of jealousy and envy. Daniel was thrown in the lion's den because of envy and jealousy. And let me just tell you something that I've been involved in different circles, and I can guarantee you, it doesn't matter how, how little you have or how much you have, the battle rages in everybody's life. I've shared this with you before. I mean, I know someone that is actually a billionaire. And you know what? Someone has more. A beautiful picture of someone that overcomes jealousy and envy is the story of Jonathan and David. You know that story. Jonathan was King Saul's son, and he was rightly destined to become the next king. But he, he loved David, his, his dear brother. He loved him, and he saw God's anointing on him. And even risking his own life, he, he, he relinquished the throne knowing David should rightly get it and risk his own life to make sure David would become the next future king of Israel. That's someone that's overcome envy and jealousy. See, a test of maturity, brothers and sisters, hear this please, a test of spiritual maturity is when you can truly rejoice in other people's blessings. Are you with me on that? No matter what they get, instead of going to me, go to them and praise God for the blessing they've received. And the reality is, listen to this, that if you got what you think you deserve, how do you think life might go for you? I'm telling you, it would not go well. If we get what we want, life will not go well, and probably most of us would already be dead. Seriously. God gives each of us what we need, and he gives us what we can handle. So you, you need to rejoice in whatever he's given you, whatever, wherever he's called you in life, and celebrate that, and be able to celebrate other people's blessings in the body of Christ. Yes. Steamer says we need to be grateful. 
For love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy. How about this one? Love does not boast. What is praising oneself before others? Exaggeration. And by the way, boasting is the opposite side of jealousy. So, what you don't want to do if God has given you a blessing is to what? Boast about it. Did you see the new job I got? They're paying me eighteen fifty an hour. I can't believe this. You don't want to boast because boasting in front of the body of Christ will as the temptation to create jealousy and envy in others. Are you with me on this? So, so, so when God's blessing you, don't, don't elevate self and be telling everybody about all the ways God has given you things that he hasn't given other people because it can lead other people into, out of your love for your brothers and sisters. Don't do that. I love this here. Look at this verse. Galatians 6.14, this is the Apostle Paul. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You know, if, if anybody could had a reason for boast, it would have been the Apostle Paul, the Pharisee of Pharisees. And if you look at his list, supernatural gifting. He was a pretty gifted guy. God gave him some powerful supernatural gifts of prophecy and healing and all the rest. He, he had more than most as far as supernatural gifts. How about supernatural knowledge and faith? I, I think if you look at your Bible, there's evidence that he had supernatural, supernatural knowledge and faith. A lot of our Bible in the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. And how about supernatural generosity and sacrifice? He worked for free and he was martyred. He poured out his life for the church. If anybody could boast, it would be him, is it, is it not? But what does he do here? What does he say? He says, all I can boast in is the cross of our Lord Jesus. That's the only thing I can find value in boasting in is what he has done, not what he's doing in me and through me. It is, is, it, is what he has done for us that made a way to, so that we might be saved. How could I possibly boast? Here, hear this, brothers and sisters. If you have any gifting, where did it come from? It came from God. He gave you the gift. If it's natural gifting, physical gifting, emotional gifting, spiritual gifting, they all came from God. How in the world can we boast about something that was given to us as a gift? So we, we too can only boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where we should be as a body of Christ. And then we have the example of Jesus himself. Philippians 2, 6 and 8. Who, through, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You doing okay? All right. Stay with me. We're, we're getting there. Love is not proud. Boasting is the fruit of pride. Boasting is the fruit of pride. See, brothers and sisters, one of our great battles is we're just like Adam and Eve, and we too want to eat the fruit and be like God. We want to be accepted. We want to be affirmed. We want to be, how about this? We want the applause of man. And if you boil it down, what we really want is worship. 
It feels good, doesn't it? It feels good. Pride is when we think much of ourselves. We believe we're better than others. We look down on others. I love the story of William Carey. Do you know the father of missions, William Carey, his, his life? Well, he, was, he was an unbelievable missionary a long, long time ago, but he grew up in a relatively poor family, and his father had a shoe repair shop, and he worked as a, a shoe repairman, cobbler, in, in England. But then he got called by God. He went off into the mission field. He was one of the greatest missionaries. Some call him, like I said, the father of, of missionaries. And he was invited back to England to this prestigious dinner to recognize his accomplishments as a great missionary. And he was sitting at this table full of people, very wealthy, successful people. And this one lady, trying to humiliate him in front of all the other guests, said, uh, William, weren't you a shoemaker at one time? Tried to humiliate him. You know what he said? Oh, no. I was never a shoemaker. I was a shoe repairman. Humility. The example in Scripture is John the Baptist. It's hard for us to picture this, but imagine the megachurch of our day. John the Baptist is the pastor of the megachurch of the day, right? Everybody was coming to John the Baptist to be baptized. Everybody was coming, including Jesus. And then Jesus came, and what does John the Baptist say? Yeah, baptize him. Someone else said something. But yeah, he, he said, I'm unworthy to tie his sandals. And, his other, and the other, his team, his elders and deacons were around him. Come on, we got, we got to take back some of this surrendered ground for the megachurch. And Jesus, uh, John the Baptist says, I must decrease, he must increase. That's a picture of humility, brothers and sisters. We can't be proud. We can't boast. So, so how do we put on humility and love every day? How do we put it on? Anybody? Die to self. Good hand. Thank Andrew. It's good to hear Ann speak up. Yes, yeah, so, so humility comes. Here's how humility comes to us. Deny self, as Ann said. You stop comparing this way. Right? Take your eyes. Don't be looking at what he or she has or he or she doesn't have. Stop that. Stop evaluating your life based on others. And start focusing your life on Christ. We're supposed to be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus. And I'm telling you, you know, the, the, the way that we stay humble is we stay focused on Christ. I can assure you this, as you, as you get up every day and choose to submit your life to Christ, and, and as you read the Word of God, you see His perfection in every way, perfect in glory, perfect in honor, perfect in truth, perfect in love, perfect in compassion, perfect in forgiveness. He's perfect in all ways. And as you see his perfection, you can do nothing but become humble. And what happens is the, 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 the horizontal evaluation begins to dim. It, it, it no longer matters anymore because you have seen perfection. That's your goal. That's your example. And what you realize is it doesn't matter what they have or don't have, I got a long way to go. 
Anybody that's been here for a while knows this is one of my favorite verses. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. And that, that's, that, the only way that happens, again, is focusing your life on Christ. So when you meet people, the temptation of the world is, how am I better than him or her? Right? Isn't that what the world does? We're kind of measuring each other up as we get to know each other? Yeah. Instead, when you meet someone, instead of figuring out how you're better than them, start to figure out how they're better than you. Change your life. fact, we should take some time to go around and tell everybody how they're better than us. Love does not dishonor others. How do we dishonor others within the body of Christ? You all doing all right? Nobody sleeping yet? Okay. One of the ways we see we dishonor others is by entering sinful behaviors. I love you enough that I don't want to enter into sin around you to dishonor you. Are you with me on this? In the Corinthian church, we had a son sitting in church with his stepmother. We had men, women getting drunk during the Lord's Supper. We had others having a feast when others were sitting in the church hungry. They were sinning in front of the other brothers and sisters. We dishonor one another when we enter in sin. Are you with me on this? How about this? Telling inappropriate jokes using foul language. We dishonor one another. Don't dishonor one another. We have to help each other live this holy life. This can be a stumbling block if we don't choose to be honoring with one another as we live out this, this life in Christ. Another way, you still with me? We dishonor one another is gossip. Talking about each other behind our backs. Backstabbing, criticizing don't go there. You're dishonoring your brothers and sisters as you speak ill behind their backs. Don't go there. And if someone else wants you to tell something, like Ralph always says, did you tell them first? Go talk to them first. I don't want to hear this. Don't dishonor one another through gossip or entering into sinful behavior. Love is not self-seeking. It does not insist on its own way. It's not self-serving, self-focused, or selfish. What did Jesus say in Matthew 20? I did not come to be served, but to serve. He said, the greatest among you is the one who serves. Now, brothers and sisters, that goes against the world, right? Greatest in the world's context is the one that has the most servants. The greatest in the kingdom of God is the one who serves the most contradictory so but our you know our natural default is self is it not when you get up in the morning what's your first thought others I need a more sleep I need a cup of coffee what am I going to eat what am I going to wear what time should I leave to get to work what am I going to do today what am I going to buy today when when's my next vacation day on and on and on. If you, in the flesh, we will just spend our time without discipline thinking about self. Unless you have children. They'll break you of that. 
So the, the, the call here is really to initially when you get up in the morning is I, I need to cry out for God to help me. You guys all know I like to, one of, it's a simple thing, but it just starts to get me thinking that way is I love to get up in the morning and get Mary a cup of coffee or tea. I bring it to her in bed. She's not a morning person. By that time, I'm ready for lunch. But, <laughs> but it's a simple, and I'm not saying to, to it's, I mean, come on. It's not a lot of sacrifice to go get someone a cup of coffee. But it's a process of me trying to pray that God would help me today not to be selfish or self-focused, to be others-minded. How can I serve others, to encourage others, pray for others? Here's the other thing. Your, your prayer life will reveal element of selfishness too. If your prayers are all about you, that's an indication you're pretty much self-tilted. Are you, you know, but if you find your prayer life is you begin praying for others and praising God and praying those kind of things, you'll find out, well, wait a minute, you know, my heart is kind of bending that way. Do you have a burden on your heart in your prayer life to pray for others? Or is it all about gimme, gimme, gimme? So the, the, the thing about this is, again, these are all choices we need to make. You need to intentionally put this on, this, this act of sacrifice and selflessness. It doesn't come naturally. You're doing great. We're halfway through. Love is not easily angered. Love is not easily angered. Not easily irritated, upset, overly sensitive, overly defensive. And let me just say, brothers and sisters, if all the other ones we just went over aren't true, it'll be revealed in an angry, irritable heart. If I'm impatient, if I'm unkind, if I'm jealous, if I'm proud, if I'm dishonoring, if I'm self-seeking, one of the fruits of a life like that will be anger. Because here's why. I'm self-focused and we never get what we want. Have you noticed that? Life doesn't go our way all the time. So what comes out of that as we're squeezed by this world is we get angry. So I can just tell you my own life, when I start to get irritable, and I praise the God that Mary points it out to me, when I start to get irritable, I know that I have got a selfishness problem. I have, I have lost my focus on the kingdom of God and the king. Are you a bookkeeper? Love keeps no record of wrongs. This is a term used for bookkeepers that records every item. By the way, very good practice for running a family financially. Very good practice for running a church financially and a business financially. But not a good way to handle relationships. Are you with me on this? Love keeps no record of wrongs. You know, I, I'm sure you've met people like that. They are, they are your own personal sin historians. You said this, you did this, you didn't do this, you, right? They keep record of all the wrongs ever committed. And what happens, brothers and sisters, is we keep records of wrong. What grows in our heart is unforgiveness and bitterness. And, and down deep, there's this detestability towards that other person even if we don't say it. There's something underneath where we just can't stand that person anymore because we have this whole list of every way they've hurt us or, or betrayed us. And it's only killing you. 
And you can't love one another if you've got this heart of, of uh, unforgiveness and, and lists of wrongs that others have committed against you. Look here again, 2 Corinthians 5.19, that is Christ, God, was reconciling the world to itself, now counting us against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't hold us accountable for all the wrongs, doesn't keep a list of them and hold us accountable to all those? Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't, you know, get up in the morning and say, God, I want to get, well, let's go over your list of everything you've done. That'd be a long prayer session. He goes, I've already, those are already gone. As far as the east from the west, those are done with. I know you've got some new things to talk to me about today. Confess and repent to those and we'll move on to the day and you'll have a clean slate and be able to move forward in the faith of, right? So we have to be that way with others since Jesus is that way with us. Seven times 70, forgive one another. Stop keeping records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. Have you, ever, have you ever heard someone, I know this is true with the brothers, I don't know about the sisters, but ever heard someone talking about the good old days? Oh, Ann says yes too, okay. And I hear this with the brothers, talk, and they're, they're, they're one up in each other about their story. Oh yeah, well I did, I drank this, I did, right, are you with me? The good old days, Right? And I have to tell you the truth, there's been some of my friends that are not saved, and they'll come up to me and talk about what life we used to live together. <laughs> Stop. You know what you're doing then when you're talking about the good old days, talking about all the sins you used to commit? You're glorifying sin. You're glorifying evil. Come on, brothers and sisters, we, we can't delight in evil. We can't talk about, were those really good old days for you? Jesus died on the cross to pay for those sins. How can we jokingly talk about the sins of our past? We can't delight in evil. And by the way, it's, we were slaves to that. There, there was no goodness in that. Don't, let's not pretend like those were the good old days. We were enslaved by Satan and enslaved to sin, and it was destroying our lives, and yet we can think we can joke about it. We don't delight in evil. What do we do instead? Amen. We rejoice with the truth. We rejoice with the truth. What is truth? The Word of God. Thank you. The living Word of God is truth. We rejoice in that. We're not going to sit around. By the way, brothers, I'm sure there's a lot of unbelievable sin stories in this church. We heard some great deliverances at the, at the baptism a couple weeks ago of the sins they were entrapped in and the sins that God freed them from. And everybody here has a testimony like that, I pray. So we rejoice in the truth. Now today, today in the church, people say that love is what the church needs over truth. Have you noticed that in the church today? Is that true? Does love outweigh truth? And really what they're saying in the churches today, and not all the churches, I'm just saying there's a, there's a movement that way within the body of Christ, is that I will tolerate any of your life decisions because I love you. So you could be sitting here involved in homosexuality, adultery, fornication. You know what? As long as you love one another, I can embrace those 
life choices. And when you come in on Pride Month, we're going to hand out rainbow flags and we can all wave those together to celebrate this love that we have for one another. And don't get me wrong, I'm not elevating any sin over any other sin. There could be people sitting here that are abusing their spouse or drunkenness, any type of sin pattern, and they're saying it's okay as long as we love one another. Let me tell you, it's a lie. That is not love. See, we love you so much that we want to help you overcome the sins in your life. Are you with me on this? We don't want you to be slaves anymore. We love you enough to tell you the truth. I'm thankful I have a bride that tells me the truth. I don't want to live in sin. You don't want to live in sin. You want to overcome sin. Can you imagine those pastors on the day of judgment walking down to the seat of judgment with their congregation? You know what the congregation is going to say to those people that believe love overweight everything? Why didn't you tell me the truth? You let me sit here Sunday after Sunday and now I'm going to burn in hell because I was not saved? See, I love you enough that I will get in your kitchen. We will get in your kitchen because not only do I want you to be saved, but I want you to be sanctified so on the day of judgment, your rewards will be great. That's what love is. Love is telling the truth. It's sharing the word of God, helping each other be sanctified. All scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Amen? That's why we share the word. And let me tell you one other thing, brothers and sisters. That here's the lie. Is that real love, are you with me? Stay with me on this one. Real love in the body of Christ will be growing within us as we all submit more to the word of God. That's it? I want you to tell you that we will grow to unbelievable depths of love for one another as we all submit our lives to the Word of God. Are you with me on that? It's unbelievable. It's just, Satan is such a good deceiver. Oh, just love everybody what they're, you know, hey, oh, kumbaya, right? No, I got to get in your kitchen. You got to get in my kitchen. We got to help each other and then we'll have real love, right? Because we've gone through, there's so many in this church, we've gone through battles together battles upon battles to overcome and now our love is deeper than ever because of it amen that's the body of christ just a few more love always protects love always protects i'll just say that i'm grateful to god there's that that we protect one another we protect one another. I've, I've been in situations where people might want to say something about some of you. I will protect you. Are you with me? I won't go there. I pray you've got my back too. We, we love each other. We protect one another. Don't be talking about my brother that way. Don't be talking about my sister that way. This is family. We protect one another.
Love always trusts. What does that mean? Well, first and foremost, we always trust in the Lord more than anything else. But there has to be a spirit of trust within this body. Amen. A, a spirit of trust. Now, let me say, we all come to this body with, with different histories of sin. Right? But here, and I've had this, another way to protect. I, and I had this conversation with a brother at the baptism service. But we believe that people are born again and they're new creations in Christ. So, so we trust them. Now that trust takes time as we, we have to build relationships because the reality is we're not foolish. Sitting in this church right now, there are some people that say they're, they're born again that are not. Amen? But over time, we've built relationships. We've learned to trust one another and we believe we're really born again. And so we trust them beyond, above and beyond what the world could ever imagine. Are you with me? It's a deep trust where we have each other's back, we love each other, we've accepted each other, and we don't hold the sins of our past against one another. Amen? We have to have that body of trust. It's something we have to put on as we love one another. And we also trust here, I mean, we've seen it countless times in our body, a brother or sister wanders away from the faith. You've seen them up here at the pulpit before confessing, and repenting before all of you, amen? And what do we do? We trust them again. It takes time, but they've come before and repented of their sins, and they come back in, and we, we build our trust back up over time, amen? Two more. Love always hopes. What do we hope in? We hope in Christ Jesus. I will tell you that there are some brothers and sisters who, in fact, we're talking about it today, who have chosen to go away from the body of Christ and engage in a sinful lifestyle. And they've been confronted, and they've refused to repent, and they love the world and the sin more than they love the body of Christ, and they've left the fellowship. Amen? But what does it mean we always hope? We hope they're going to repent. We hope that, that God will get a hold of them and, and, and turn them around. Turn from the world to the face of Jesus. We never lose hope. You all, I'm sure you all have loved ones, family, friends, even brothers or sisters from the mission that you still hope that one day will repent. And they'd be welcome back if they do. Who? Who is, who is what? What, somebody specifically? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, Kevin, that's okay. Uh, there's, there, there's been many in our history, yeah, that have, that have left the church. And some have died physically. Some, some are still living in the, in the sin. Um, and I wouldn't publicly say anybody's name anyway. But, yeah, but there's been many, Kevin. But we still hope they're going to turn back to the faith, Kevin. And lastly, love always perseveres. It always perseveres. You know, so let me go through the list with you again. Love is patient. Love does not envy, jealousy. Love does not boast, it's not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. 
Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So let me just close with this, is that this, obviously, what Paul has been telling us here, the Word of God has been telling us that a life apart from this love is meaningless. This, this body of Christ, the foundation of it has to be our love for one another. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it does not come naturally. You need to choose to put these things on and take them off every day of your life. So keep your list, keep your hands out in your bulletins. Keep the inventory. I can tell you in my own life, it moves, but there seems to be always something that I'm, I'm failing it in that list of loves. Are you with me? Some years it's one, some years it's another, but it's, it's a constant battle to remain because those are choices we make every day. Because what happens to me, maybe not to you, but if I don't pay attention to it, self starts to take over again. Are you with me? So we have to put on these loves every day of our life. Good? Let's pray. And then we'll have communion. Father in heaven, thank you for this truth from your word, this beautiful list, practical, easy to understand, hard to live. We pray that each one of us, you would get a hold of us and just help us to put on these things, take off the things that you tell us to, and that we could be more loving body of believers. And we know in that we'll bring you glory and honor, and we will have an abundant life as we love one another the way we should. Thank you, Lord Jesus, in your name.